Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. This podcast is a conversation between two creators, dissecting the craft and technique that goes into creating comics. This episode features two Canadian artists, Stephen Call and Chris Smith, discussing their work in the Deadwork anthology. Stephen's work includes Dirk Dirksen vs. the Demons from Mars, Tomorrow's Escape, Verdulac, and A Law of Nature. Chris's work includes The Watcher, Night of the Hive, and Hadel. Hey there, my, my name is Stephen Call. I'm a comic book illustrator and part of the uh, Deadwork Collective. I think that's what we're calling ourselves at this point. Um, I illustrated several stories within the, uh, the book with several different writers, um, one of them being uh, Dirk Dirksen and the Demons from Mars. I, I did that with uh, Jonathan Ball, as well as two stories that I did with Lyndon Rochenka, Tomorrow's Escape, and uh, Law, A Law of Nature. As well, I did Vertilac, along with our, that's with our host there, Jordan Finn. And it was, uh, it was a great time doing these books. And I'm here with someone else, though. Hello, my name is Chris Smith. I am also a uh, comic book artist. I illustrated a few stories in our anthology, Dead, Dead Work, I'm also part of the Dead Work Collective. Uh, the stories I illustrated were The Watcher, with, uh, which was lit, written by Lyndon Radchenka, uh, which was previously part of a larger, or not a larger, but another anthology um, that he had composed called What Will Not Last. And then I also did a short uh, comic with Jonathan Ball uh, called Hadel. Um, and then I also did a comic uh, with our wonderful host, Jordan Patrick Finn, comic in question known as Night of the Hive. Cool. Well, that's us. We're, we're here to talk about our books to each other. And I think it's going to be kind of fun. And yeah. I'm going to ask Chris a question right off the bat that uh, I'm going to go straight into the theme. Okay. And I really want to know how much input you had on the theme of these books and the writing because they're dark. They all end dark. <laughs> like, and, and by, by what I mean is, you know, maybe not, maybe they just don't end happy um, in a sense because there's, a, there's an underlying note of sadness to uh, the, the outcome of our main characters. Um, in the in the watcher you you kind of like lose your main character now how you interpret that is is it i think is up to you but th there is some sadness to the way that ends as well as with our main character in night of the hive and and in hadel that's i guess it's a little less sad but it, the note is a bit of a i don't know how to explain it can you talk to me about that like how how did those themes come about um well okay so i will say for both Hadel and The Watcher, I would say that both of the authors were probably open to me providing input on any of the story. I provided none. Um, I'm, I, it, I think in that regards, I'm a little bit hands-off. Uh, I like the writer to do their thing and then just hand it to me and I'll just boop, 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 do my thing. Um, and then, but with um, Night of the Hive, it, 
I would say the conception of it was a much more collaborative process between Jordan and I. Um, but at the same time, it's like he hit me with the story beats and I said, I think that's cool. Just do your thing. And he did his thing. And then he sent me the script. And um, yeah, I would say there was the opportunity for input, but it wasn't required on my end at all. I, wow. When I read the scripts, I was like, yeah, this is great. I'll just draw this. Um, wow. That being said, I don't know if I necessarily agree that they end oh, okay. very um, sad in a way. Like um, the, the end of Hadel is, uh, spoilers, by the way, for people who haven't read these comics, oh, okay. um, but um, for Hadel, the way it ends is like, they find this like an almost seemingly unlimited source of food down in the depths of the ocean where they had like been having a hard time surviving. Uh, Night of the Hive is maybe a bittersweet ending, but um, where our main character dies, but at the same time, it's like he dies nobly, right? He is uh, entombed in honey. And uh, in my opinion, it's a very, like they would remember him for ages, right? He defended the hive. And then with the watcher, I mean, it's maybe it's a more ambiguous end, but the idea is that um, Ikar is going off to something special, something greater. I, I, I always imagine maybe one day, maybe one day doing a sequel to it, and you see Ikar as like a teenager or young adult in a very like Legend of Zelda style adventure where he's like fighting monsters and doing heroic deeds and like Herc Herculean tasks. Um, okay, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, I appreciate that expansion um, because I, I, I guess sad wasn't the right word. Um, bittersweet maybe? I don't know, it, it, bittersweet, maybe th there's a note of loss to each one that I just, yeah. maybe I just picked up on that. Um, it, it, it was brighter to me like that note. Right. So. Yeah. Um, I have a more stylistic question for you. Sure. Um, so, something I, while looking through your work, something I noticed, um, specifically with your panel layouts and your like your pages and stuff like that, your panels are very like square and rectangular. Um, and I was just wondering if like if that's a gut intuition or if that's like a specific conscious choice, like. Uh, where was it in in tomorrow's escape if you look at the pages and I know that one was, was under a time constraint because it was for platform comics 10k contests but I think two years ago um, but um, if you look at the pages for that it's like the panels are all exactly the same layout and the same size on each page right now I, I, I kind of saw that in some of the other work. I feel like Vertilac was probably the most diverse in like panel shapes um, and dimensions. And I was wondering, is that like a specific choice where you're trying to accomplish something? Or is that just like your gut intuition as an artist to make them that way? So uh, the answer to that is uh, there's, there's a, an amount of intention and then there's uh, an amount of uh maybe fear is the right word um when we started out like when Lennon and I started making comics we were like I think the biggest comic looming in our minds at the time was like Mr. Miracle which is uh like Tom King and Mitch Garrett's um and uh 
Tom King gets his artist. I don't know if it's Tom King getting his artist to do it or naturally his artists just do nine panel grids, but everybody runs on a nine panel grid. And, uh, and that's like, like the layout that you see there. So it's like nine vertical um, aspect ratio, like panels. And I just said, like, at the time, Mitch Gares was like my favorite thing in comics. And I was just like, I'm just going to do what he does. And so I just started doing everything like that. And Linda and I always used to joke about um, the nine panel grid being like a torture and stuff. Um, and so like, I felt like at the beginning, I was really pushing myself to be able to like, think of nine layouts per like nine panels per page and like seeing like that you like the versatility you can have there you can have like three three panel strips you can have like one long strip you can have like the center panel be just the focus like in tomorrow's escape on page three that's the escape where he starts a, a brawl to try to sneak out the back door and our center panel is the brawl and it's a super crowded panel um so it was intention in that I wanted to keep myself constrained to that. So I'll sometimes do a nine panel, I'll sometimes do four bars, five bars, but it's kind of all in a squared grid. Um, but I guess what I meant by fear is, I guess, cause I, I'm always drawing on a deadline and I'm like, I'm worried about experimenting with panel layouts in that like, it'll slow my production of a page because I'm trying to learn something new. Like if you look at, if you look at a, a law of nature, I get a little looser on the grid there where my lines don't line up. There's some angled panels. There's some irregularly shaped panels. And that one, I, I just told myself, I'm going to draw it without a grid. I'm not going to have like, because I use Photoshop, I'm not going to have Photoshop rulers. Um, and I think that turned out pretty good, but that's as far as I've strayed from that. So at some point, I will do some kind of Todd McFarlane Spider-Man type paneling. Uh, I just uh, haven't been able to do it with something with a deadline because uh, I kind of freak out about it. So yeah, I mean, that's not a criticism. It was just something I noticed like throughout your work. It's like yeah. they're very a uh, square, rectangular, and I'm like, oh, that could be like that's part of Steve's style, right? Mm -hmm. um, one thing I was wondering. So the first writer you worked with was Lyndon Ratchenko, right? Yes. Okay, so that's yes. the problem. That's the same for both of us, which is kind of interesting. But even though you yeah. you were the one who introduced me to him um, at my request. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, what What was your? I know your experience. Your first experience with Lyndon was um, doing Infinite Universe. Yeah. Um, but what What would you say like your experiences were with him on? Like, what is, What is it like when he sends you a script? I guess I should say. Uh, I, I look at the script as like an instruction manual. Um, when he sends me a script, he's got it laid out and he's like, this is what I think it should look like. This is what they're saying. And like, I have a lot of creative freedom. I can, I can change the panel nails, but I do ask for like a tighter script from him, from what, as he's writing the words, what he thinks is going to happen in the panels. And I might take a, a four, like in my most recent script that I'm working on, um, we were joking that there's like, a whole stint of five panel, five panel pages, just all five panel pages. And I felt I needed to mix it up. And then also at certain points, I was like, five panels isn't working because with the way I'm drawing the comic in these grid formats, there's only so many five panel layouts that look good. So sometimes mm -hmm. I've got to like chop it up and add a panel or lose a panel. Um, 
but yeah, the, this, the script is really like, here's your materials, here's some instructions, build the comic. Uh, we did try like Marvel method where he gives a looser script and like my speed, like just dropped through the floor. And I think that is similar to the, the, the page layout thing where, um, where every time, you know, if I try something new, all of a sudden my speed slows down. And so I think I just need to like get past this next deadline and, and get a little more experimenting with some more free time. Um, but I don't find I have that all the time with comics because I, I work a full-time job at the same time. So it's like regular life, full-time job. Yeah. Comics. And then comics is deadline comics. So, yeah. I, I question for you. Okay. Um, so with, I'll say two of three of yours. So with Hadel and, and, uh, uh, night of the hive, you keep a super tight color palette. I love it. And the fact that like your inks aren't restricted to like, like your line work, they're not restricted to black. Um, and then it's a very tight color palette. And so what, uh, how do I, how do I pose this? Going from the watcher, which I would say would be a more uh, traditional color where like it varies a lot more to the tighter color palettes. What was that choice like? Um, do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. So like, well, watcher yeah. was my, yeah. So watcher was my first endeavor in a comic. So I just drew it how I assumed comics were drawn. I was like, okay, mm. I will draw characters and I will do line art and then I will do flats and then I will like, blah 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 you know all that stuff um and then i like i just did i just took like images and textures and i bashed them together for the backgrounds and stuff like that like um open source free use like photos of people's vacations and stuff like that i and, and i did do a little bit of like um like specific palettes for the watcher in a sense i did like a color overlay to make it look like the sun was rising throughout the comic but okay, yeah. i I stuck to it. Yeah, I, I was like, I this is how I think this stuff, people expect this stuff to be drawn. So I'll, I'll just do it that way. And then, then I was just think like at that point in like my quote unquote artistic career, for lack of a better term, um, I was really looking at a lot of just like indie video games, but also like real, really retro games and like, oh, you know, I really just like the look of Game Boy games. And I, I just like the look of like NES games. And they've got such a limited palette. So I was just like, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to make a conscious decision. And the color palette that I almost always use is split complementary. Um, and because it gives you three colors. And what I do with that is one color is typically for characters. Another color is for uh, the background. And then another color is for props. Now, I didn't necessarily do that with Hadel and uh, Night of the Hive. It was, I the way I was drawing them made that a little bit more difficult. Um, but that was this basically the idea. So it was like with um, the hive, it's split complementary between like, uh, like violet. And then instead of it being the complement being, um, or maybe it was like an indigo or something like, like a blue, a blue violet. And then yeah. the, the split of that was like yellow, orange, and um, it would be yellow, orange, and, uh, red orange or something like that. Like it, it's, it goes across to 
orange or yellow orange or something, or it's like orange and yellow, not yellow orange. Yeah. Anyways, not super important on that part, but um, yeah. And I just, I just decided like, these are the colors I'm going to use. And then I go to a website called Palettron and it, uh, it's just like, um, it's almost like the histogram thing in Photoshop where it shows you all the different colors. Uh, but you can, you can click different, um, formats and stuff like that for like you can do like a tetrad a triad a split complementary complementary you can do a custom thing where you put in this however many colors you want and you adjust them based on the degrees of separation and then you can choose things like i want a pastel i want neon i want like dark neon i want full color stuff like that and then i just get a it gives me like a color swatch of like different colors and i'm like that's the palette I use. That's what I stick with. I don't like, I blend obviously, but I don't go outside of that. Like if I start like doing line art, I'm like, okay, what's the darkest color in this palette that I can use? Well, it's a dark purple. Okay. That's the lines. Right. Um, and I just made me so happy. I didn't even know anything like that existed. I just yeah. pulled it up on my computer yeah. and it's like, I have, uh, so I have like a three, I have three websites that I use for getting color palettes. One is Palettron, which is a little more like you pick and choose. The other one is uh, on a website called lowspec or yeah, lowspec.com, L-O-S-P-E-C.com. Uh, and then the other one is um, coolers.co. So C-O-O-L-O-R-S.co. And uh, uh, low spec gives you like a bunch of like indie game, indie video game color palettes. That's like NES and Game Boy and stuff like that. And I just gush over that. And then coolers is more like I think it, it's for artists, but it feels more like um, like a website where you would go to like pick paint swatches for your house. Um, but it's both very useful for me because color is very very important in what I'm drawing because I look at a lot of stuff and I'm like a lot of stuff is kind of gray. I'm just like, I just need a little more color in my life. Um, you know, we, I, Steve, we both live in a very gray environment. Um, Why Canada doesn't look like that? <laughs> not, not all of Canada, but the part of Canada we live in, especially it's at this time of year. Months of the year that we live in too, yeah. Yeah, color is very, like, it's the way, and this is going to sound super highfalutin with artisty, art, artsiness, but... I really believe in the idea of having like axioms, rules for my art, where it's like, these are the principles of how I will conduct myself, right? And I try and stick to that as much as possible. That I, that, that's kind of what I was getting at with the intention side of the panel layouts. Right. It's yeah. like, yes, there's, there's room to grow and to learn and stuff, but like, you know, I stick to these grids and that you can kind of tell it's my pages when I do that. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. And like with the, oh my gosh. So with the color thing, like initially, like if you look at like infinite universe, I, I kind of guessed, you know, like I would have the color wheel beside and like, hmm. okay, well, what's something that's a little darker and grayer than this color? And then, oh, I need to shift this, but I would just kind of stick kind of, you know, I would never go too far off of the color I was working on. And then, um with Dirk Dirksen that was just like uh like so much thinking so I was like doing the original thing I would do but like I would be like okay I want to do an orange teal palette like I want to do like like a mood like a like a uh, David Fin not David Fincher yeah, David Fincher 
Um, not that I keep thinking Lynch or Fincher, but like a David Fincher seven style color palette. It's like, okay, well, I've got to be like really tight here. So it's just very careful. And then our dear friend, Zach Schuster was like, you need color palettes, bro? And he just dropped this folder of color palettes on me that he just made himself. And I kind of used that and, and I didn't want to like steal his color palette. So I kind of made one of my own for, for Vertilac. And then Vertilac has this like really tight colors. And I look, I look at it, it's like, oh, that's my standard. Like, oh, that's, that's how yeah. I want my colors to be. And then you show me this. And I can, and now I can just go like, I want this to be my anchor. And then I can export like an entire cut, like grid yeah. of colors. And so I'm definitely using this when I color the pages I'm working on. Man. Well, that's, that's I so noticed cool. that like looking through your comics in dead work, I was like, I was like, okay, I can see like these very, these kind of specific color palettes in there. And then I, I looked at Vertilac, which I had kind of seen before, um, yeah. like before we assembled everything. Cause I, th- I can't remember if you showed it to me or Jordan showed it to me or Lyndon yeah. showed it to me. Um, yeah. One of the, one of those three. Um, but I looked at it and I was like, Oh wow. Steve's really, yeah. He's getting into like this specific, like this kind of, and it was like this great color palette of like oranges and greens and yellows. And I'm like, yeah, you don't see that mix, right? Like maybe yeah. you see it kind of in like prairie landscape right but there's almost like this almost like toxic element in vertilac from the colors i'm yeah. like oh yeah steve you're really getting me here <laughs> uh, and i loved it so much oh. um i know yeah. that, that kind of basically answers one of the questions i was going to ask about vertilac um because there was very specific like i was wondering if there's very specific like color palette choices and there obviously was so um yeah. But yeah, that covers yeah. that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it was so. like a 10 by 10 grid. And what I liked about the, uh, I'll give you some kind of answer there. Like I, I like, what I liked about Vertilac was with the palette I had, I, I still, it was versatile enough to, uh, it, it was versatile enough that I was able to kind of like darken a panel when they're inside mm. and brighten it to like daylight. And then when, they're in the forest. It's like all of a sudden it's like gloomy, but I was still working with the same kind of 10 by 10 grid, which, which was a good exercise. And it actually, even that was something I tried that was new that didn't make my life harder or make my pages take longer. So I thought that was pretty cool. One thing I wanted to say just on the topic of like uh, panels, it's yeah. like, like I know Vertilite doesn't have as many panels per page as some of your other stuff, but like when I look at some of your other stuff and I'm like, there's so many panels on this page. I don't know how, like I can barely do like a five panel page. And I'm like, there's not enough room. Like, I think, uh, I think Zach Schuster and I are of the same mindset where, um, a 10 panel page here. Yeah. And and some of those, some, panel page. Sometimes those sneak in. Those aren't, those, those <laughs> are not my intention. Um, yeah. Although, oh, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to this later. But um, yeah, and I, I think Zach Schuster said to me once, he was like, he's like, I like a four panel page. I was like, yeah, me too. Because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so much easier to draw. Just like you have so much space. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. I've got a but 16 sorry, your question. panel page. I got a 16 <sighs> panel page coming up. <laughs> it, it's going to be a fun page to draw though. Like it's mostly black. So it's like, it gets a little brighter, kind of like, because there's people running through a dark tunnel and there's little okay. light sources that they run by. Oh, that's cool. Um, 
Yeah. But I was going to ask you, so you and I, like, uh, I don't know, probably years ago, like, so yeah. Cause we've basically been able to follow each other's art our entire lives. Yep. Um, Since like grade and, five. And, and I would say probably almost at the same time, definitely in, definitely in university, we, we switched basically straight to digital, right? Yeah. I think I did some painting for a while and we both do our comics completely digital. Mm-hmm. What, not, not would you, but what would get you to do like a six pager traditionally? Money. Okay, so here's the thing. I, do, I, I shouldn't say I do so much art, but like, like almost all my art I do digitally. And I was, I was drawing surprisingly in a sketchbook the other day and on my tablet, on my, on my pen for my tablet, I have set one of the little trigger keys on the pen to be a hotkey for undo. Okay. I was drawing with a regular pencil. I went to go hit that button and I was like, Oh, what happened here? My hand, my, my finger just moved. Right. And I was like, Oh, I'm just totally like, I, I'm, I, it's become muscle memory for me. You know, I spent years and years just like as a kid and a teenager and young adult, just drawing with pencil and paper. Right. I very rarely went into other mediums unless it was like, this project has to be oil paints. This project has to be pastels. I was like, no, let's stick with pencils. Um, And now it's like, it's, it's just hard to go back. There's so much control, so much freedom. And it's like, when you can, when you can do a line drawing and just go like underneath it and just like put color. And it's like, I don't have to, I don't have to think about the order in which I do things, right? It's probably better if I do, but I don't have to. Like, I'm not going to screw up my artwork because I didn't layer my oil paints in the proper way. And then it's like going to crack 50 years down the line. Um, But I I don't know, like, it it would, it would be money. It would be to be the right project. Like if, if someone said to me, Hey, I want to work with you on a project, but I want it to be drawn traditionally. I would be, I would say like, well, you're firstly, you're going to have to be very patient because it's going to take much longer. Um, You got to relearn how to do half of it. Yeah. Cause like, like, I don't even know how you make a comic, not digitally at this point in my life. Like do I, my assumption is you draw it with pencils you ink it with a pen and then you use like Copic Copic markers or whatever, or potentially watercolors on top of yeah. it. Um, but in my mind, that would just make the ink from the pen run. So yeah. I don't know. So I, I like, I, I can't, it's not like I don't know how to draw with a pencil anymore, but it's like, yeah. I can, but like my speed is completely different. I, yeah. I it's like, I'm forcing myself to think in a completely different way. And it's, it's super weird because like I I was the same way. I didn't even draw in a sketchbook growing up. Like everybody says an artist should carry a sketchbook around with them. I I don't like, I, I, I've always had like a clipboard full of like eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. Like when I was a kid, printer paper, I I was, yeah, printer paper. Yeah. And I was saying like a mechanical pencil or something. Yeah. And I was saying this on like super pulp science. It's like, I, that was my sketchbook. And I'd walk around with that, a stack of Nintendo powers. And I would just draw what I see there. <laughs> yeah. And that like, I don't know. And then now 
doing everything digitally, it's like I sat down with a with a brush pen and stuff. I can still draw that way, but I, I think it stems back to that same like fear of like I would never be able to get done on time if I yeah. if I did this. It would have I would have to do several fun projects first before I would do something of consequence. Yeah. It, traditionally, you know. You know, it's one of those things that's like it would have to be something that I was in in love with. And even the stuff that like the, my own projects that I pitch to myself and be like, yeah, I want to work on this. I want to draw some sort of like, you know, pre-Cambrian fossil creatures, right? In some sort of comic. And it's like, I think that's cool. I wouldn't even do that traditionally. So it would have to be something that someone tells me, it's like, hey, I want to work on this project with you. And it's blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, my mind is blown and I'm so excited that I'm like, yeah, of course I'll do it this way. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's like, I don't know. Like I can, I can screw up in Photoshop and I can just cut that piece out and just be like, go away. Yeah. I'm going to redraw you. I don't have to erase. There's no, there's no history of my errors. Yeah. Um, I just did that just like 20 minutes before this podcast, I like had sketched out a panel and, and I was trying to figure out the perspective of like someone who's like sitting in a booth and someone who's further back standing up talking to them. Yeah. And like what I sketched was terrible. And I just like marquee tool, like delete. <laughs> I just yeah. got rid of it. I just restarted and I was able to sketch it out super fast. And, and you, you can use layers to build up your details, right? If you're like, well, I think this is the position I want, but I don't want to ruin this, but I want to see what it looks like with more detail, new layer and start drawing that. In. And yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, like, I mean, a lot of the big, a lot of the big names now too work digitally. Like you see videos of Todd McFarlane walking around inking on his iPad and stuff like that. You know, yeah. it's like it, it's a totally natural part of our profession now. So oh yeah, it's well, it's just natural progression, right? It's it's yeah. more accessible. It's it, well, I shouldn't say more accessible, but it's it's like. I mean, maybe it is more accessible. Maybe more people have iPads now than it. It's easier to get an iPad than it is to learn how to draw traditionally because yeah. God, it takes so long. Yeah. And I think every iPad you can buy now has the same power as the original iPad pro and you can draw on all of them. And, and it's like, and entry is like 500 bucks yeah. into digital art now. Whereas when we started entry was, okay, I need a computer that's probably 1500 bucks and I need yeah. a drawing tablet. That's probably 500 to 2000 to 3000, depending on what, which one yeah. you got. And right. like, and man, digital art was my first drawing tablet. That's like dead now because the battery cooked the screen cost me almost $3,000. Oh ridiculous. God. Was, yeah. that a, was, was that a Cintiq? Yeah, it was a Cintiq companion. So it was like the one that had the computer in it. Oh, but okay. Yeah, yeah. The system that was in it wasn't powerful enough to run Photoshop. Yeah. So I not. couldn't draw on it on its own. But uh, yeah, and it was, and then the battery in it, the charging cable was right beside the video cable, and it was this design flaw, and it just cooked it. But uh, let's talk a little bit about what, like, why we're here. Um, the uh, the dead work anthology that like, yes where i i'm super stoked this is my first kickstarter um this is the display of a bunch of work that we've all done in the past it's the biggest 
representation of the collaboration that we all have like you've got this mix and match of artists and and writers and stuff so it, it only begs one question like how did you like working with Lyndon Rochenko? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I like working with Lyndon a lot it, you know this is and this is I, this is so weird um work with I worked with you know I did a comic for Jordan. I did a comic for Jonathan. And it, I feel like the timeline on getting both of them done was was relatively um, okay. You know, I, I felt, that, well, specifically the one with Jonathan Ball, I got that done in like a weekend, right? And I was like, oh. wow, I didn't think I could draw this fast. And I spent, I didn't have a deadline, at least not as tight of a deadline with the one I worked with Jordan, um, Patrick Finn, our host. Um, and uh, I didn't have as tight of a deadline but I felt like I still got it done in a timely manner. I feel like everything I work on with Lyndon Radchenka is I'm pretty slow for some reason. Then there's nothing. It's not like I don't like his writing. I, I really like Lyndon's writing. I read back the scripts to myself quite a bit, to be perfectly honest. And, um, and, the, and it's like, even when it's like projects that I worked on with him, I'll read the script just because I enjoy reading them, not because I need to read them for the sake of drawing the comics associated with them. Um, but for some reason, I just, I'm just so slow at working on his stuff. I don't understand it, but um, I, I, I do really like working with Lyndon. Um, I was, I, I wasn't surprised when I got the first, like for when I got the script for the watcher, Cause it was like, this was my first foray into comics. So I just assumed, oh, this is how, this is how it's like, at least done for like, a, for me as an amateur, right? Where it's like, he gave me um, the pages, like the written out, pages written out and panel layouts, right? He's like, I think this, pa this page should be like X amount of panels. And this panel is like, um, it's like a wide panel or something like that. And it's like, we're looking at this character and this character kind of, right? Or something like that. And some of them were more vague and some of them were, you know, and I had to sort of fill in the gaps a bit myself, uh, which is, you know, good. And that's totally fine. Like I, it's, I think that's important for the artist to have to do that. Um, but I, I think looking back on it, I, it's, it, it's weird to me for, uh, to, to see, to think of the writer, putting that much visual thought into it right because in my in my mind they're like they're it's just a vision they have in their head maybe I don't know I'm, I'm not really a writer so I can't really speak to their insights but um and then I had a similar thing working with Jonathan Ball um when he gave me the script for Hadel it was you know similar thing where like page and panel layouts and then when I worked with Jordan Patrick Finn he asked me I, he asked me he's like how do you like scripts and I was like just like what what do you want on a page and i'll figure it out from there and i that was great i like that a lot mm. um but but this sort of uh, back to working with back to the original question of uh working with lyndon Renchenka, um he's so supportive and like he's so patient with me and um i don't know if i could have necessarily picked a better person to introduce me to the world of comics um he sends me he sent me all this he, he well said he sent and sends me all this stuff that like useful resources and stuff like that um he still i still he he wants me to read you know the what is it those two very specific um books about making comics 
Um, I think yeah, one of them yeah, is just yeah. called Making Comics. And like, I read yeah. like 15 pages of one of them. And I'm like, Lyndon, I'm just slow at reading. I'm just going to start drawing. Um, yeah. He's like, that's fine, you know. But he's like, I just wanted you to know they exist, and you know. Um, yeah. But and he, he's but he's good with deadlines because when uh, when I get slow, and he's like, so Chris, are you ever going to finish this? Are you ever going to finish this comic? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll start working. Right. He knows the right words to get me to draw without making me like feel like he's trying to be my boss. Um, so, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I want to briefly talk about Jordan Patrick Finn. Okay. Um, he he is probably yeah he's my newest friend in the Denver Collective. I guess the 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 most recent person I've met and um, uh, gotten into it with and. Uh, we did Vertilac together and uh, he asked me how I wanted to do the script. And I said, well, this is how I've done it in the past. And he set up something great like that for me. And the script was awesome. We kept it simple. Um, but there was like this, this moment where I had already started planning this thing in my head visually. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this, like this brute with big armor and stuff like that. And uh, there was one day, one day he was just like, I was thinking like, what if, what if like our hero was a woman and, and then I had this flow in my head and then it was just like, Oh, it's gone. And I'm like, Shh. I'm like, well, I mean, it could, it could be, could, could, could be a woman. And then like, I didn't want to come off in any sort of wrong way. I was just like, ah, like, Oh, that's not the vision I had. And then I just started like sketching at work and, and, uh, and then like, I started thinking about what the, I was researching what the, the villain could look like. And I was like, oh, this totally works with like a, with a like a female character as the main character because just just the you see it in the comic, just the dynamics of the characters, it it, it really works. And I never would have saw that if he hadn't just been like been like, let's look at this um, because like Lyndon and I, I think we just have this flow. We've been doing it for so long that like we just kind of trust each other to just take the reins and, and just just go um, right. Whereas Jordan and I, because it's most recent, we were, I think we were like learning each other at the time. And, and uh, what was produced was this awesome comic and I can't wait to do more there. Um, so I don't know, this, this, this thing we have going on, this, this slowly boiling like collective thing where like we're all shooting ideas off each other, helping each other out and stuff like that. I, I think it's just, it's just turning into this great thing where we can keep pulling new creators in and like, yeah, and, and keep making great stuff. You know, it's, it's so cool. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily feel the same, like same way. Cause I feel like I knew Jordan pretty well, maybe before we start working, we, we talk a lot on Twitter, like the amount him and I message each other back and forth, just about like D and D and other random stuff. Um, is it for me? It harkens back to the days of like MSN and or like talking to people in like World of Warcraft. Like I used to have my in my teenage years, I had more digital friends than I had like friends in my current material world. Um, and but yeah, so like I don't know if I was necessarily like for me, it wasn't like I was learning Jordan like you were, right? Yeah. Um, once, once Lyndon had in, Lyndon Ranchenka had introduced us, um, and we started talking about D and D, it was just like off to the races. 
And uh, we talked so much about that kind of stuff. There was a there was a moment where he actually said to me, he's like, I forgot that you did art. I just thought we were just D&D stuff, right? Um, which I thought was, it was like, that was, that was very, I, I liked that a lot, actually, that it, like, it wasn't necessarily this creative connection that defined uh, our friendship. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, re I really like working with him. Uh, I'm not going to say what we're working on next, but we are working on stuff together. Um, and I'm super excited for it. Um, there's some like design stuff that I'm, I, I have to actually work on and get through before we can like, I think actually get to like drawing any kind of comics. And, but that design stuff is really, there's a part of my brain that like is having trouble figuring it out, but I really, really, uh, want to design it as someone who designs monsters. Um, almost specifically, like I would say out of all my skill sets, that is the one thing I focus on the most. Um, and like, I want to, I want to do more work with everyone, but I also feel like I just don't have the time. Like we both work full time, like retail jobs. Right. And, yeah. you know, we're on our feet for eight hours a day. We're, we're, I, I can't speak for you, but I'm exhausted when I get home. Um, so sometimes it's hard to muster up that strength to draw for another yeah. two to four hours in an evening. Um, yeah, for sure. But like, I'd like to do it's hard more. to know how much work to pile on your plate. Yeah. Right? And then it's like, yeah. you know, I'm so bad with burning myself out. Like I will, I'll, I'll be so gung ho about like, Oh, I'm going to draw all this stuff. And I draw all this stuff for like two weeks and then I'm like, well, I'm not going to draw anything for a month now because I'm too tired. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I used to I wanted... do that after after an issue, I'd finish an issue and then I'd be yeah. like, "Oh, I deserve a break," and then like I would just fall right out of it and yeah. just and then and then to start up again is just like it's an uphill climb. Uh, I don't do that anymore, but like back then, oh yeah, it, it's a hard balance, especially when it's not your full time thing, right? Yeah, like if if and when we ever get to the point where we're professional full time artists. Um, yeah. maybe we won't have those problems anymore. But yeah, actually, I, I had a question for you about um, some comic stuff, or maybe it was just about art stuff in general, but it, was, it relates to our comics that are in, it is in Dead Work, our anthology that is on Kickstarter. Um, so, Deadwork.ca. Um, yes, go, go to Deadwork.ca and potentially pledge. I'm not going to force anyone. But, you know, just look at the pretty pictures. Think about yeah. it. Also, there's also some very nice pictures of everyone who is involved. Um, yeah. Someone told me mine looked very handsome. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say whether or not there was a family member or not who said that. <laughs> um, but my question for you is, um, and this comes down to, this comes specifically for character design. And for me, as someone who almost exclusively draws monsters, um, or at least non-human characters, um, a lot of your characters are human. And I was wondering, <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, um, because for me, part of the, the whole joy of drawing monsters is getting to spend all this time working out all this stuff. Like how much of a process is designing humans, human characters for, is it for you? Like, do you, do you sit down? Is it like a big long process or is it just like, I want them to look like this? Like, I want them like square jaw, blah, blah, you know, or is it like, um, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, is like as someone who doesn't draw humans a lot, I don't have insights onto designing human characters as much. 
So like, yeah. I'm wondering, it's like, do you spend time, do you, do you have to spend a lot of time designing your human characters or is it pretty uh, natural process for you? You mean like each unique character, or like yeah? Well, well, more so probably like the specific main characters, right? I know it's like you're you're probably not spending lots of time, you know, designing the you know the brow ridges and like okay, this is what the you know uh, the cheekbones are going to be like for this character in the background, right? Mm -hmm. But like, do you you know obviously you're you're probably sitting down and you're doing at least a character sketch or concept art or something like that, or maybe not, I don't necessarily know your process there, but like how, how labor intensive is it for you to design humans, right? Yeah, not that at all. Uh, it used to be, cause I had to like learn how to actually like draw a human and like manipulate <laughs> them in yeah. space. And, and like, what does, what does a face, what does a face do when I turn it, from side to side and stuff like that. So that in the past made it really difficult, but yeah. I've crossed a line with that where like that it's not second nature just yet, but it's much less effort to do that part. As far as designing each unique like main character, um, I either already know what they look like in my head and I just start drawing them. Or if I don't know what they look like, I like to imagine who would play them in a movie mm. and I draw that person, like, yeah. like with almost every character, like yeah. uh, I like to, and then I don't always draw that person exactly, but I yeah. will, I will like uh, use their face as like a basis for it. Yeah. And then my first page, first couple pages, or let's say first handful of panels with that character in it, basically dictate how that character looks. And by the time I'm like five panels in, like they all look the same, but like any mistakes I've made along the way drawing their face have, have worked their way into the makeup of that person's face. Oh, that's, that's where, yeah, where, and then like each character, because you draw them so much and like, you know, everybody can, you know, can look the same accidentally. I like to make sure they have identifying marks. So like in one of mine and women's stories, uh, it's called The Laundryman. It's like a men in black type thing. Um, uh, like one character, I gave him like, it, the original actor I chose was Owen Wilson. Um, mm. He doesn't really <laughs> look like Owen Wilson anymore, but right. like he's got a big scar across his nose, which I don't think Owen Wilson has a scar, but he's got an identifiable nose. Yes. But then the guy also has like, kind of like a short mullet too. So he just always has that and he always has that. And his hair is kind of like this right. um, and he's got a long face and, and he smokes like crazy. So his, the, the lines on his face are, I always draw them uh, because they're like, it's just like this guy, just he's stressed all the time. Um, and then the other guy um, originally, I, I don't know. There's a character from Grey's Anatomy. Okay. Um, his name's Ben. Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he was the original guy for it. Um, and I guess maybe I did more workshop with him because it was, it was him. And then I was also using some stock photos to get like a profile view and a front view and a surprise face. And so it was kind of the merging of those two people. So the guy in the stock photo and that actor who kind of created the other character. Um, so, and then 
and then once that's it and then for like side characters i i tend to stay pretty generic like i i keep how how to draw comics the marvel way beside me all the time so i use like the 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 general john buscema face for like side characters or background characters uh because it's easy to draw really fast and manipulate from side to side um so it's yeah i guess not a lot of it's not so much character design it's deciding on the identifying marks but characters can also pick up those identifying marks throughout the story as well like right yeah. now right now one of the characters has a big cut on his cheek so he just i always draw that cut on his cheek and stuff like that so yeah. just always identifiable so yeah um do you think you spend more time designing costumes for characters than you do like their faces like the outfits um, are probably more important maybe no okay. um it's one fluid motion like like oh, that's uh, interesting it, like yeah like in vertilac I, I knew i wanted a fantasy setting but with a a more like a i don't know a brutalist look like the houses are like cylinders and and like uh her it's not armor but her accessories yeah are like they're kind of a Kirby sci-fi like I take a lot of my inspiration from Jack Kirby when I lay stuff out here's a good way to put it when I started drawing and it's still kind of a thing I try to stick to today is I keep in mind Jack Kirby allegedly drew 75 pages a month right good so, lord yeah right right yeah and, and I'm like well that means his style was must have been born out of being able to kind of like mindlessly throw stuff on paper yeah, but still have it work. So, yeah. and if you look at his art, it looks. I'm and I'm only assuming here. I don't know this. Uh, the guy's not around. I can't ask him. Um, but like, you look at it and it looks super intentional. But if you really start to analyze it, it's it's circles and squares yeah. and parallel lines and and all that stuff. And that's really easy to draw. And so I started doing that and like his his inking is very random like it's not really light source based um in a lot of cases whether he's inking or or it's just where he darkened his pencils or whatever it might be. right and so i started doing that too um so then that influences the armor that i do so i draw the face mm -hmm. and then i'm just like okay hey, are they oh uh you know is she wearing shoulder armor nope is she wearing like a leather frock nope uh does she have leg armor on well she's got uh boots up to the knee with big knee pads and um she's got wrist guards on too and and like that's just that's literally what my head would do and then yeah I draw all that so i guess i don't spend a lot of time in characters i'd be a terrible concept artist to be honest <laughs> uh, like i don't spend the time and if somebody said you need to go back to the drawing board and redesign that because it looks okay but i want you to do this this and this i'd say no i quit so yeah <laughs> I, I just think yeah i i'm always interested to know like where where artists put their time right like yeah you know we've only we've only got so much of it and like i've i've had instances where like Lyndon has said to me you need to stop designing and you need to start drawing a comic and i was like okay <laughs> um but yeah, i guess my time yeah. definitely goes into the acting uh like the uh, the movement of the characters, uh, yeah. like you, yeah, you that, have very expressive it, characters in your comics. Yeah, if there's any planning, it's in that. It's yeah. it's 
what are they doing and how does that look? Yeah. That's, that's what matters to me. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there's two things in Dirk Dirksen that were like stylistic things I was actually wondering about. Um, so and correct me if I'm using this term wrong. Um, I noticed some use of what's called screen tone, which is that like series of circles to create a texture uh, and it implied like lighting and stuff like that. Now, I don't necessarily think you used it in that. It's more of like uh, just texture in certain panels. Um, but I was wondering, I lost my question here. Um, oh yeah, so I was wondering, and, and I'm unfamiliar with them, but like, would you say there's a specific use in using them in Dirk Dirksen or, cause I know I think you used quite a bit of screen tone in Infinite Universe. Um, yeah. Uh, honestly, it's an uninformed usage. Uh, I okay. always liked the way it looked. And I thought it worked as a good thing to shade with. Like, yeah. like if I'm not using like a half opacity, like multiply layer, uh, like a screen tone or a multiply screen tone would look just as good, and, but it would mm. print nice and cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where you, well, you don't get the banding from a gradient. Right. Right. Like, you know, yeah. You don't, yeah. Where it's like, it separates and I'm like, eh, it doesn't look good. Yeah. It prints. Um, yeah. And then, okay. like, I'll also use it in spots like uh, I like to use it like a smoke and stuff like that. It looks kind of cool. That makes um, sense. But yeah, it, it's it's not. I mean, I just kind of mess with it. Yeah. Um, to be honest, since since doing Vertilac, I, I didn't do a screen tone on that one. Yes. And with what I'm working on, I'm working the second issue of Laundryman, and that has a lot of screen tone in it. But with the second issue, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to use it. Right. Um, so it's Would like you... this. Yeah. Would you say know. you're falling out of love with it? No, I just, I think I used to cover up a lot of mistakes with it. Oh, okay. Um, and now you're and making less mistakes. That, yeah. Now that my, my <laughs> color muscles are a little stronger, I don't have to, I, I'm not worried about that as much. And I want to ship, I don't want to cover as much up, you know? No, that's fair. So, yeah. Um, and then the other stylistic thing I was wondering is, this is also in Dirk Dirksen, um, there is near the end of the comic a very specific usage of a colored outline around certain characters. I think um, I don't necessarily recall the names of the characters, but um, at the end when that guy's holding up the demon's head, I think he's got a red a, a reddish outline around him, and I think the demon itself has a um, what is it a greenish outline? At least that's what I have in my notes here. Um, but I was what I was wondering was because you don't see that at, at the at all in the earlier portions of the comic. Was that just something you sort of stumbled upon? You're like, oh, I like the way this looks, or was that intentional? Or like, okay, I'm going to use this at the end to make these things pop or anything like that. I think it's more option B. Uh, I, I'll, I will improperly use rim lighting to uh, <laughs> to like pop a character. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did, you just brought something to my attention and I don't think this will matter for readers of the book, but like in that last panel, I rim-lighted Dirk in the same color as the blood coming out of the, the monster. Yeah, I thought that it was intentional. It just looks like he's covered in it. No, like I, I think well, it was an accident. So for yeah. me, I don't think of that as rim-lighting. I think of that as like a stylistic, almost like metaphorical, like, it's an energy that's around him, right? Like 
you know, the idea of when you see like almost like an angelic character and something, and they've got light coming from behind them and they're just glowing, right? Well, mm-hmm. he is very much in that sort of heroic pose. And um, I just I just thought of it as like, oh, this isn't like actual lighting. This is just energy. This is just style that's uh, coming that's off. That's exactly of what I was doing. You're right. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. I think that comes maybe that comes to the the um, like the mindless way like that I just kind of like I just go until it looks good, you know? Right, right. Um but that's I mean it it does give off that vibe though. Like it because that sign that panel signifies a change in that character where yeah. he's kind of like you know, uh questioning his whole reason because of something that just happened um and why well, yeah not yeah maybe i because of that i might use that a little more in because i i'm finishing the first issue of, of dirk dirksen in the next couple months here so all right yeah just I'll throw it in that. somewhere yeah sorry you got me thinking about this now <laughs> um that's good it's good to think about that stuff and like consider like new different stylistic stuff um i think is is important like because especially because we're making sequential stuff we have to draw the same thing over and over and over and over again right so it's like you got to add a little bit of flavor a little bit of kick in there to like keep it from being you know just the same over and over again my experiences with the comics not drawing them but consuming them um and i don't mean like eating i mean like reading um but my, my experience with that is like, I don't spend a lot of time looking at the art of comics. I read the words and I just go, I like, I'm just, I'm, I'm reading it. I'm going through it as fast as I can read it typically. Um, yeah. And maybe that's because the comics I've read, the art doesn't really like speak to me or doesn't like pop or whatever. Right. But as a comic book artist, I think I'd, I, I want to do whatever I can to trick the reader into just staying on a panel for as long as they can. Um, no, no matter if, no matter what, like, even if the panel is just like two characters talking, you know, I want to try and I say try, and I don't necessarily know I'm succeeding, but definitely try to see if I can like get people to be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, Oh, this is some cool bit of texture here or like, Ooh, these weird spirals or whatever. Right. So. Let's talk a little bit more about dead work. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think so, I kind of strayed a bit away from that. No, no, that, that's a, I, I don't think that's a problem at all. Um, we, uh, so from that faithful day in the backyard yes. at Linux, oh, where, yeah. where it's like, I, I don't know, maybe Jordan, if he were visible, he could nod when I say this. I, I'm pretty sure that was the weekend Jordan and Zach were in town, right? Yes. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we were all hanging out in that backyard and we just started talking about throwing our old stuff in a book. Did you think we'd actually be at a point where like on that day, like obviously it started to progress as time went on, but on that yeah. day, did it feel like a passing thing or did it kind of feel like to you, like, no, like I, knew it was I think happen. this might be a thing that we're going to do. And then sure enough, we're kickstarting it now. I had 100% faith that it was going to happen because Lyndon wanted it to happen. Um, yeah. I have, I don't know if I have ever met someone who has like he he wants to do a thing and it it it, it not that it works out 
but he does the thing, right? Yeah. Um, he follows through. Um, and like, I mean, when he said, it's like, yeah, we're going to make an anthology of all the stuff that we've already done. I was like, well, he already kind of made an anthology and he got four different artists to all draw stuff for him. Yeah. And that stuff wasn't already done. So I was like, yeah. well, if he did that, he can do this. Yeah, <laughs> and like with point. the combined efforts of everyone else involved, right? Uh, especially because like, you know, when we were, you know, the more the more I talked to Zach Schuster, the more I'm like, oh, this, like he, or at least at that time, the more I was learning about him as a person, I was like, oh, he really knows what he's doing with like Kickstarter stuff because he does that. Like that is part of his like I, I think his source of income I, I can't speak for Zach but he remember he told he he talked about how it's like he didn't he like he managed one Kickstarter and it went well and then he managed another Kickstarter and it, it exploded like we're talking like ten thousand dollars or something like that don't quote me on that um but yeah so I was like between just between those two I was like yeah I totally have confidence that this is gonna happen I was like I only really have like two things in this book uh at the time and i was like hey jordan let's uh, let's make a thing because i want a bigger piece of that pie and also i want yeah. to work with jordan um it was it was a perfect excuse to test the waters to work with jordan um i kind of sometimes wish we had more writers like in our group who were like just writers right and i could be like okay i'm gonna work with like i i want to i want to do a small comic with you i want to do a small comic with you i want to do a small comic with you all right um so but uh yeah i had 100 percent confidence that it was going to happen um the the only thing i didn't have confidence was 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 my contribution i was like (laughs) i guess i i was i was thinking about like when when they were talking about i I was saying like the watcher i don't know i feel like i need to like fix that thing up and i did I, I redid all the panel outlines and like mm. the background, like not the not the background of the panels, but like the space in between the panels. I, I, I colored all of that and I did like outlines around all the panels, um, which was, it was no work at all, but it was a change. It, second edition, basically, right? Um, mm. Yeah, I was totally i was like yeah this is gonna happen i was like look at all these people who want to have make this thing happen and then it was like yeah. when i met adam and he's so like he he was so like he knows exactly what he needs to do he's asking all these very specific questions and i was like this guy knows he knows what's up you know yeah. and i was like every time i, I was just kind of sitting there like i was i was sitting at like the uh on that stool and it was just like uh, I don't really think I need to contribute anything here. I think everything's well in hand. Yeah. Yeah. It, it like, I don't know. It, it, I don't know if this is the right word, but I'm going to say, cause I like the word. Um, it beguiles me every day that like, I get to be like part of a group like this. Um, yeah. Part of an ever expanding group, part of being connected to people like Justin Curry and Gregory Kamichuk and, and, and then like, Zach and Jordan on other provinces and and it, it's just like I don't feel like I'm alone in this and I never have because like I was always working with like Lyndon and I always worked together but like it just it it really feels like something real uh, especially with yeah with dead work like it's like all of a sudden I, like I'm in a book with with GMB Kamicha and legendary Jonathan Ball you know like <laughs> it's like 
it's like it's just it, and like just in current like like yeah. the big like the biggest booth at any canadian comic-con yeah. is justin is chasing artwork justin curry and it's like and it's like i think i think one of my comics is even like next to his on here no it's it's zach and and, and oh and, and jordan's book so no i'm not even near it um but like like i don't know it's just like <laughs> the disappointment all these people who have all these people who have found success in an industry that i'm trying to break into i like we're we're now in a book with them and yeah. not to put people on a pedestal i don't want to do that but like it just feels it feels cool it, it's it's just one more thing that is kind of ringing the bell for me that's saying like hey you're doing something you're doing you're making correct decisions yeah you're you know the coattails you're riding on are are, are robust well, uh, for me, that's definitely what it feels like. I, I really feel like I did one nine page comic with Lyndon and I just weaseled my way into this whole collective. Right. And it's like, obviously, mm -hmm. I also did like a six page uh, comic with Jonathan Ball. But like at the same time, it was it was like I did one comic for Lyndon and it was just like, hey, you're in. And I'm like, sure, I guess, because I'm a yeah. comic artist now. Um, We're all joining the fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, like sometimes I, I kind of, I, this is the thing, I sometimes feel kind of out of place in our group because people, like, you guys will say things like, oh, Kirby. And I'm thinking, like, Nintendo? <laughs> like, every time, like, you, even when you mentioned it in the, in the podcast, or you, you mentioned yeah. Kirby. And before you said Jack Kirby, my brain was like, the little pink guy? Oh, no, no. He's talking about the comic guy. Okay, okay. Yeah. So um, I think my perspective is, Maybe a little yeah. bit different from most other people in our collective. Uh, That's a on good thing. Where I come yeah. from, um, I'm probably the maybe the least educated on the world of comics than uh, mm -hmm. the rest of you. I mean, if you look at where on the artist on like the 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 creator part, and it says favorite comics, everyone's got like a big list. I just put Berserk, <laughs> which is a manga. <laughs> Yeah, it's a comic, yeah. but you know, I was like, I only really got the one. Yeah, so. I mean, I don't even read a lot of comics. I just like draw. Like, uh, I'll be if you watch me walk around a comic book store, I I open the book, I flip in, and I go, "Will that be good for reference?" And it's like, eh, not my style. I close it. I just I just look for something that is going to help me. Like, yeah. like I like I have a stack. I've got like Court of Owls like unwrapped editions so it's just great capullo's pencils i've got right. spider-man by tom mcfarland i've got mr miracle here just just like all all books that i know i like the panel layouts i like the choices those artists made and it's like i know i can use them i like reading comics too but a lot of the time i'm building up a, like a reference like reference material and trying to support other creators as well so yeah yeah well i remember once um Jonathan Ball said, he, he said in passing, it was like, you know, you either, you're going to either make work or you consume, you either create creative stuff or you consume creative stuff, right? Because yeah. most people don't have time to do both when you have to have yeah. a, like a job as well, right? And I was like, I don't really like that mentality, like that, that perspective, but I have a hard time not agreeing with it because it's like, yeah between work and like trying to do art, I can really only set like one or two evenings at most aside for um, non-creative non, non -creative work. I mean, I've got D&D &D prep I've got to do as well. And that takes up time, but 
Yeah. Even still, like it's you know, most I get, of the media I consume is on while I drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, just, I set aside some time for like gaming, but it's it's pretty minimal compared to like yeah. what it was in like high school, right? Yeah. God, yeah. What, what what golden days those were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I would say it is a pretty surreal like thing being in this collective and being able to like you know bump shoulders with some of the people here who who seemingly have just made it they've made a career out of the stuff i kind of want to do and i'm like great maybe i can like um not necessarily shadow them but like you know follow a little bit and be like okay well you're doing this i'll do this and like maybe we can share the spotlight a bit (laughs) yeah i like on that note i'd say like any type of success, you could look at anybody's like success story in their industry, and you could probably find the place where they got a whole bunch of luck dropped on them, or maybe it's yeah. multiple spots where they got a whole bunch of luck dropped on them. And and like I always say, like I'm lucky enough to just like to know these people who are supportive and who do what I do and are there to answer questions, and to know these people who are at like at the same time do what I that I can help, you know. Yeah. And I think this whole, like this ever growing group of creators that we have is, is just, um, it's, it, it, I think it's that first whole bunch of luck that, that I've, that I've found, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, and, and let, let's go dead work. <laughs> yeah. I, I would also like to try, like, I don't know how we would even go about this, but I would like to try and like bring more people into the group, more people with different perspectives as well. Yeah. Hey, we just keep going. We just yeah. keep going. Finding people on Twitter. That's how yeah. that seems to be how people get found. Make live You're... and go live in different places. That's how he <laughs> finds people that way too. I don't I yeah. don't know if he's bringing back a French uh, person for yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lyndon, you're going to go live in Halifax for a bit. You're going to find us an East Coaster. And yeah, yeah. We'll, just, we'll just do that. Yeah. Thank you to Stephen and Chris for joining us for this discussion. Stephen's work can be found at infinitestudio.ca. Chris's work can be found at chris-smith-art.com. And both their work can be found in the Deadwork Anthology at deadwork.ca. Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music and Jeff Harmatz for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creators on Comics podcast podcast.